We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato, and today we have a special guest from Pro Football Focus. It's Brad Spielberger. I hope I pronounced that right, especially because it's the type of last name I should be getting right of all people. But for those who see me or can't see me if you're watching on YouTube, I like to think it's because I got super tan out here on the West Coast, but I think it's just the lighting in this hotel room. So at least you got a nice background to look at the entire time, which is probably better to look at than me anyway in the first place. So it's a win-win for all sides. And today we're here to talk about the giant salary cap situation. We're here to talk about the NFL salary cap at large. We have a ton of questions from the listeners that we're going to let Brad uh, get a piece at and, and, you know, give his best answer to. So it's a big salary cap show. So we're excited for this. We don't do this very often. And this is the type of content a lot of people like. So before we do any of that, Brad, first of all, tell us how you're doing today and tell us where everyone can find your work. Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. You can uh, find me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. And like you mentioned, PFF.com. And, and for the, this topic, anything contract related, uh, overthecap.com. It is run by a Jets fan, but uh, a native New Yorker who's, I know, I know, but uh, obsessed with the salary cap and, and started probably a decade ago or so. Um, and anything you could possibly think of and or have questions about, uh, you can search on overthecap.com and the information's there for you. Yeah, I'm team over the cap over Spot Track. Just to make it clear, I've been this way for 10 years. I I think Spot Track's doing a lot of copying out there. We won't we won't get too deep onto this, but I feel like over the cap is the real deal when it comes to the cap stuff. So go there. I'm with Brad. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> no comment at all. So I think I'll start with this question just because it's really on the minds of a lot of Giants fans. The Giants have structured Dexter Lawrence and Daniel Jones contracts to have a minimal effect on the 2023 cap. But their cap hit in later years is going to more than likely be more cumbersome. Is there a way or how do the Giants avoid the perceived future burden of later cap issues due to contracts structured for immediate relief? Yeah. So what you can do is you build in the ability to restructure a deal. And when you see that buzzword you know, flown around a lot, it really just means you convert a player's salary, which all hits the cap in a single year, into a signing bonus, and you can spread that money over five years. So I know it looks burdensome. You look at it in the future, like every single offseason, everyone panics about the New Orleans Saints and all oh, their 50, 60 million dollars over the cap. Yes, but they have all these large salaries or large roster bonuses as well that all hit the cap in a single year, and you can convert it. And 
and spread it out. And so that's really all it is, is that the team knows this. I think Kevin Abrams um, is one of the better cap managers in the NFL. Frankly, I think he does a very good job. Um, you know, there have been some tough times, some tough contracts. We'll get into it a little bit. But uh, but I do think he has a good understanding of when you want to go in, how to manipulate, when you want to, you know, set, scale it back a little bit and save some money. Um, you know, he knows how to kind of ebb and flow with, with how the roster is looking from a talent standpoint. Can I ask you a couple questions on – or let, let's actually, let me, let me walk it back a quick second. I want to ask you kind of a general question because you brought it up with the saints. So when I first broke into like this industry, I was covering the NFC South for Fox sports and I was covering the saints and it was the 2012 off season, I believe. And the saints were supposedly 50 million over the cap. And then they went out and they signed Jairus bird to the highest safety contract in the history of the NFL. And at that point I was just like uncertain of how this type of thing happens, how this works. They're supposedly in cap hell but they can make this signing. And then for another decade straight, it seems like they've just kind of made a lot of signings. They haven't really gotten, they haven't really paid the price that they're supposedly supposed to be paying. And it just confuses the hell out of me. I'm just trying to get your perspective on how the saints have been able to kind of make this thing work for so long. I know everyone's like, now they're screwed or they have to cut X and X, but it's like cutting a few players is not the supposed cap hell that I've been, that I've been told will come if you do these kinds of things. So the Jairus Bird example, I think when they went seven and nine, three years in a row with Drew Brees in the middle of his prime, um, I think that kind of was the example. There were some players they either lost or some free agents they did not sign and other teams kind of swooped in and beat them to it. And I know right now you could say, oh, they're getting away with it. They've missed the playoffs two years in a row. Maybe they'll make it this year because the division might be the worst division in football at this point. But I don't think they're a particularly great roster. They have holes at both sides of the lines. Um, you have some older players. I mean, what is Michael Thomas? Can Cam Jordan keep playing this well at 33 years old? Can Demario Davis keep playing this well at 33 years old? Like, I get it. It's frustrating for other fans. They do manipulate it more than anybody else. And, and they kind of, you know, make it some of the cap is fake, quote unquote. But it does just make it harder to add talent on top of that. Um, and there will be a time where it's a credit card, right? So, so the credit card bill is coming due, but you can, you know, refinance and just keep pushing it out uh, kind of in perpetuity. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. Like, I don't want to equate it to how they've won and lost. They're not a winning – in the NFL, a lot of winning comes down to who your quarterback is anyway. So I don't really like looking at it like if they win, it works. If they don't win, it works. But I just feel like the last thing you said there, Brad, always sticks in my mind. Like, yeah, you're supposed to have this year where you pay the price. But if you just kind of keep pushing that year back and back and back, that year almost never comes. So you like you said, you refinance. So it is a little interesting to me. I think the teams do get an actual advantage by doing that. But I was glad to hear your breakdown of that. You definitely get an advantage, and I'm sure we'll talk about a division rival that does it as well. I mean, you do, but also, like, did they want to lose Trey Henderson? Did they want to lose Marcus Williams? I don't know. Um, maybe Marcus Davenport, maybe, with with him. But, but no, I hear you. I hear you. Like, it, they, they do get away with it. I think there are owners, frankly, I think the Dallas Cowboys owner is the worst about this, uh, that complains about the cap and says it's such a constraint and they can't spend. And, they, you know, because the cap, because the cap. If an owner wants to push money out, and keep spending on top of that year, like Jeffrey Lurie has done as well, they can do it if they want to. I think we should probably just dive right into the Philadelphia Eagles because they have done some really unique things. Thinking back to when they signed Carson Wentz, I think that was like a four-year, $128 million contract. And then they go and they draft Jalen Hurts not long after that in the second round. Everyone's like, what the hell are they doing? And I think it worked out for them pretty well. So can you, Brad, just give our audience kind of your opinions on how the Eagles have had so much success maneuvering around the cap? And is it anything different than what the New Orleans Saints have done over the last decade? 
it's actually pretty similar. Both of them, I think you've now, everyone's heard of the term void years. Uh, it's kind of become popular. I think COVID forced a lot of clubs that were not comfortable with void years to start using them. You know, quick primer. They're basically just dummy contract years that aren't actually real, but you can spread, like I mentioned, you can spread out bonus over five years. You can have a one-year deal, but add four void years on top of it and then spread a player's money all over those extra four years. So both of those teams did that very early on. You know, I, I would bore you with the details, but frankly, what it does come down to is their ownership group is more willing to spend money. You look last year, the Rams spent on a 200 and, or, you know, $208 million cap. They spent $288 million or something in that range, right? So the actual cash outlay was higher than the cap, but they were pushing so much out. So the Eagles have done the same. It's funny. Look, does Howie Roseman hit on every draft pick? No, but he is a salary cap background guy. Um, I think they have the, you know, the best financial front office in the NFL. I frankly don't think it's particularly close. I think other teams would even admit that to you. Um, so they're just finding loopholes, finding different ways to manipulate deals, you know, you know, you know, regain cap and 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 push stuff out. Uh, but yeah, so them and the Saints are pretty similar. Uh, like I said, I'm not gonna get the nitty-gritty, but they're doing things that other teams have never even considered. <laughs> yeah, that's so why are Sorry, Dan, but why are other teams not considering it? Does it always come down to how much the owner is willing to pay? Exactly. Why aren't teams like, well, I mean, the Giants did this going to Philadelphia and being like, all right, we're going to poach all your guys under Howie Roseman and figure out how we can manipulate the cap as well so we can be competitive like the Eagles are. Well, they did poach one, right? They, they Their assistant GM is, is an Eagles guy. Yeah. So yep. um, look, the Browns, perfect example. They steal Andrew Berry. They had never done this before. Now they're doing the same thing. They're they're super, you know, leveraged of a bunch of, you know, money down the line. They have the most expensive roster in the NFL this year and next year the Cleveland Browns do. So, but it does though. 90% of it is just, is your owner willing to spend more? Because you are inherently, if you do that, you're then spending more cash. Like, whereas like, you know, legacy. Like I'm a Bears fan. Legacy ownership groups that are they're they're rich, yes, but they're rich because they own an asset. They're not rich because they made money elsewhere and also happen to own an NFL team. They're operating in different constructs. Unfortunately, they are. It's interesting because the Giants are operating in the first contract, the first bucket. There, they are. They have an owner who, at no point, has shown an unwillingness to spend at all times. He spends on coaches. He spends on assistant coaches. He'll fire a coach and, and rehire. So I think at some point the Giants will dip into this. And, and I almost feel like they are in some ways doing so already this year with the structure of those Daniel Jones and Dexter Lawrence contracts. So I want to get into both of those contracts. And then I want to get into the contract that's going to come or that might come. And that one is obviously Saquon Barkley. So I want to get your thoughts on all three. So let's start with the first one, Daniel Jones and his contract. I want to get your thoughts on the contract, the price of it, the overall contract, the structure of it. And then your outside perspective on what you would have done if you were in Joe Shane's shoes as Giants GM. Because all the time we hear, we have guests on who are like John Schmell from Giants.com. And I, I like to get the outside perspective on Daniel Jones, not just the inside perspective. Yeah. So look, I think once you do realize you're going to do a multi-year deal, um, I, I have no issue with 40 million. That's probably was, they're not going to agree to a deal if it didn't start with a four. So you get the, the lowest possible number there. You obviously are projecting out, like they're not doing that deal, not realizing we're going to get Hertz and Lamar Jackson and, and Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow. So I think when the deal came through, everyone's comparing it to current contracts. They are, you know, there's four deals for 50 plus million that are going to come in the, in, in the following months. So 
you know, I think it, it was solid for the Giants from that standpoint. I have no issue with the total value. You look at the fully guaranteed structure. Um, you know, you do get some of the third year gets guaranteed later on, but it's not, you know, overly burdensome where if they do want to pivot, um, you know, it doesn't completely cripple them. And, you know, going back to the whole paration thing, if you push money out, it does become dead cap. Eventually, you mentioned Carson Wentz. Yes, the Eagles found a way through it. But, you know, the 2019 or 2020 season, maybe 2021, you know, he counted for $34 million against their cap that year, like a, like a fifth or a sixth of the entire cap was going to, you know, Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz. So it does make things complicated. But, um, but yeah, I think it was a fair deal for both parties. What I would do, I do think he was kind of tailor-made for a franchise tag. Like, I, I think, and we'll get into Barkley a little bit, I think sometimes teams use it when they really shouldn't, and they should just go ahead and get the player done. Because I think he's a good enough player. He's proven enough. And the more you wait, like a Dak Prescott, the more you just overpay because you should have just got the deal done. I think for him, two off seasons earlier, um, he would have signed for around the same as Carson Wentz. Instead, he gets the 40. Um, so I get that angle for them. But for me, it was just like I always made the analogy to Joe Shane came from Buffalo. Tyrod Taylor made the playoffs, 9-8 and team, weren't supposed to be very good. Had a very similar statistical profile to a Daniel Jones, um, and the, and the Bills took Josh Allen and didn't even you know keep Tyrod Taylor around as a backup. Right, like they like they moved on completely. I'm not saying the Giants should have done that, but I probably would have tagged him um, and, and seen what happened. But I, I don't blame them just getting it done now. Awesome. And then on to Dexter Lawrence. So this is a player who did not reset the market like a lot of us believed, although there are plenty of incentives throughout that contract that can get to a much higher point. Can you explain to our audience the pros and maybe even cons of Dexter Lawrence's new contract? I think the Giants and Kevin Abrams did a phenomenal job, right? So, so here's how I look at this. So we knew all these defensive uh, tackles were going to get extended. Uh, he shares an agent with Deron Payne. It's the exact same value, even though he went later. He's a year younger. Um, and actually, you look at the nitty-gritty of the detail of the deal. Um, the full guaranteed money is actually a little bit lower. There are $4 million in per-game roster bonuses. So if he doesn't play, the Giants would save some money. Like there are all these little details where it actually points to the Giants doing a pretty good job um, in this negotiation. Look, he was going to get a monster contract. He deserves a monster contract. But I thought, you know, these guys had already gone him, Jeffrey Simmons, Deron Payne. I thought Quinn Williams, Christian Wilkins, I mean, Chris Jones. Like I thought they were going to get 25 plus million per year. Like you have Aaron Donald out at 30. I don't think anyone was going to get that far, but I thought they were going to get, you know, bridge the gap between the 22 that already existed and the 30 of Donald. I think the Giants did well, go early, you know, not first, but but obviously not last either. Um, and like I said, from a structural standpoint, you know, Deron Payne, same agent, um, actually got a stronger contract earlier in the offseason. And it's interesting to compare the contract Dexter Lawrence got now negotiated by Joe Shane in his camp to the contracts Leonard Williams got a few years ago negotiated by Dave Gettleman in his camp. I mean, we're looking at the repercussions now of this Dexter Leonard, con uh, sorry, the Leonard Williams contract. Um, he's the third highest paid player in the NBA in, in the NFL this year. NBA. I'm watching too much basketball playoffs, but um, and just crazy to think that was years ago when they signed that Leonard Williams deal and just a much better job negotiating by Joe Shane on the Dexter Lawrence front. I want to ask you specifically about the decisions on both Lawrence and Jones to kind of backload these contracts in the sense that very low cap it's in year one. There was discussion this offseason that the Giants could be one of the teams that would pull like a Buffalo Bills type move and trade the 25th overall pick for a Brandon Ayuk or a T Higgins if they were to come available and then that would require them to re-sign those players and give them massive contracts, which we know now for wide receivers is in the $25, 30000000 per year range against the cap. 
The other discussion was use that pick or a later pick for DeAndre Hopkins, who would also want some kind of new deal. In your in your opinion, looking at the Giants' salary cap situation with the with the backloaded deals with Daniel Jones and Dexter Lawrence, is it even possible for them to make this kind of move now? Not this offseason, but say next offseason and make that trade for a wide receiver one like the Eagles did, like you know teams in the past have done, and then re-sign that player. Is that something that's feasible for them? So here's where it goes back to the conversation of, you know, our owners willing to kind of push stuff out. I do think there are some owners, maybe like the Giants, where they say, all right, we think we're in a window now, so we're going to be more aggressive and approach this like the Saints, like the Eagles. So they just do it at all times. I think you see a lot of owners say, okay, we believe in our quarterback. We think we have good, you know, rookie contract players at edge and tackle and, and guys that are providing us a ton of surplus value. Let's say Jones takes that next step to make the playoffs again. You see good play from, you know, rookies and sophomores. Moore's and Andrew Thomas is Andrew Thomas. Kayvon Thibodeau comes along. I think then a lot of owners say, okay, you know what? Let's max it out. Let's restructure a bunch of deals, push a bunch of cap into the future, trade some draft picks that are, you know, picking 25 is great. Um, you'd also, owners are more willing to trade those picks because they're not, you know, top 10 picks anymore. Um, I do. I think they honestly still could be in the market for making a move like that. I think DeAndre Hopkins is still potentially available. Um, maybe the, the Cardinals wait till after June 1st for cap reasons, but yeah, if they want to do that, maybe Leonard Williams gets interesting. I mean, you bring in a Sean Robinson as a nice, you know, piece behind him. Um, but yes, can they? Absolutely. Yes. Will they? I think it depends on just kind of how they see things shaping up in the next couple of years. So is that the reason why the Giants got in trouble in the first place back in 2020 after Leonard Williams had 11 and a half sacks? They did that same exact strategy thinking like, oh, we're kind of close and they couldn't have misjudged the situation more terribly. Is that is that right? 110%. Yeah. When you're chasing 500 and you don't realize kind of where your roster is at and you're paying a bunch of top end veterans and you don't have the nucleus of young, good players, then you find yourself like, look, James Bradbury is a good player. I'm sure it sucked to see him make an all pro with the, that was the correct decision. Like there was no reason really to keep a bunch of high price veterans on last year's roster. You know, obviously they had a great year, won a playoff game, but, but yeah, like you have to know the context of your entire roster situation. Speaking of the entire roster situation and the Leonard Williams contract, I want to get back to that because you mentioned that. Obviously, I mentioned earlier he's set to be the third highest paid player in the NFL, and that's apparently not just the third highest paid non-quarterback, third highest paid player against the cap. So they have, and, and he's going to be a free agent next year. So at this point, we've gone pretty far without them doing anything with this contract. Do you expect the Giants to do anything on this front as far as either releasing Leonard Williams? restructuring and then resigning him obviously to spread more of the cap hit to later years or just letting it play out at this point with the with the big hit that he has right now in the 2023 uh, season. Yeah, so I'm like Dexter. I think this is one of the most player-friendly contracts in the NFL the last couple of years. I mean, again, like not just the value itself, but, you know, players want shorter term. I think people can get confused by that too. Like a win for Daniel Jones, win, you know, win for Dexter Lawrence is getting that four years. They can get back to market. Leonard Williams getting a three-year extension. And like you said, now has a 30-plus million dollar cap hit. Um, I don't know. Like, I like Ashawn Robinson, the player, a good bit, but coming off an injury is a little bit scary. You don't want to make a strength into a weakness. Um, you know, it's good to have a, a really stout interior like they've had. I think what they'll do with him is the season goes on, like you've seen the last couple of years. If you want to do a midseason restructure to kind of clear a little bit of room, whether that's for an actual move, like adding someone at the deadline or adding someone who gets, you know, waived or something, or it's just to clear some space for some breathing room. I think they'll be patient. I, I'd be surprised they outright cut him, but I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess I should say. Speaking of creating cap space, let's dive into a little bit of Saquon Barkley talk. Do you have any opinions on how Joe Shane, Kevin Abrams, and the New York Giants might 
go about re-signing Saquon Barkley if that is something that would entice both sides? It's interesting. I've kind of pivoted now, and look, everyone associates it with my PFF uh, employment, and that's not why you know I kind of have views about the running back position, and all that. So, like, I kind of tie it more to, and I've said this way too many times on too many podcasts, but it's a Giants podcast. So, like, I wrote a book about positional value in the draft, and and it's all tied to contracts and all these things. And a comparison we always made was, you look at 2018, 2019, Saquon Barkley became a top five highest paid running back in the NFL on draft night. The next year, Nick Bosa goes second overall and is the 27th highest paid edge rusher in the NFL. So, like, I'm ignoring what they actually do on the field. It's more just like, look at the market, look at the opportunity cost of what you're doing. All that said, I now think we've kind of maybe overcorrected a little bit where if Saquon Barkley would take a deal for like $13 million a year, like I'd probably do that. Like, I mean, the guy is a dynamic player. I think at that position, I'm only paying a guy if he can pass protect and also catch the football, run legitimate routes out of the slot, not just kind of catch checkdowns, but actually, you know, be a receiver on. And he does all those things. Obviously the injuries do scare you a bit. I understand all that. So yeah, you see all the stats of like, you know, the, the second running uh, contract for running backs never works out, yada, yada, yada. Okay, go a three-year deal for $39 million a year for the face of the franchise. Maybe don't give them a 1,000 touches in the first 10 weeks of the season. Like, I think there actually is a middle ground. I get why teams have kind of pushed that market back and it's corrected a bit. Um, but I now kind of think it's, it's at an opportunity where I would strike. That's interesting because the Giants are going to be in position, most likely, in my opinion, they will be re-signing Saquon Barkley to a three-year deal. And we're going to see how that works out. We're going to hope that he can kind of play at this level through his age 29, 30 season. Um, and he'll, he'll, he would be bucking the the trend recently, but I think you're right. I think maybe it has kind of swung back because you're, you're going to get a guy like Saquon Barkley for $13 million versus a guy like Jacoby Myers who signed with the Raiders for around the same price and just doesn't feel like they're offering the same impact on the field when they're healthy. I've seen the Jalen Hurts contract be applauded all around the industry, and this is the Eagles. We hate the Eagles on this podcast, but I do want to know your honest opinion on the Jalen Hurts contract. And uh, both, just to be clear, Dan and I believe in Jalen Hurts as a player. We think he is a good football player, just because that's another thing that's contentious for whatever reason. So can you just tell our audience what you believe or how do you think Howie Roseman did structuring that contract? It's super duper risky. I mean, you look at the fact that Carson Wentz was in a similar position. They put you know, a, a signing bonus and then two option bonuses in his deal. Option bonuses, again, just like a signing bonus, they spread out as opposed to hitting the single year. They put an option bonus in every year of this contract. So I saw the tweets going around. It was like Daniel Jones's cap hits in the first four years versus Jalen Hurts's cap hits. Jalen Hurts in 2029, when he's not under contract, as of today, will have a $97 million cap hit. Like, yeah, it's great to push. Yeah, like, the, so again, like, it, honestly, they, can I cut you off real quick with the option year? Oh, yeah. Can you explain that a little a little more in detail, not just for me, but for everyone listening? One, what does that mean? And then how does it work that he has a $97 million gap in 2029? What can they do about that? Yep. So what they did is basically in every year of the deal, there are these big salaries, but the option bonus, what it really means is the the, the entire salary less a minimum uh, salary gets chopped off is what Aaron Rodgers is dealing with. Um, and then it turns into a bonus you push out. So we've seen it's pretty common for a contract to have one or two option bonuses. Josh Allen had two. Uh, Miles Garrett, you know, non-quarterback, had two option bonuses in his deal. What they did is in 2024 through 2028, every single year, if they wanted to, they could pick up an option and spread the cap money. So they've added void years on this deal through 2035 when Jalen Hurts is 37 years old. Um, and if they start to continue to pick up these options, they'll just keep pushing cap out and out and out every year. So 
the 97 million number comes from if hypothetically they picked up every option um, and, and nothing else changed when he's the last year he's on the uh, on the team the, the following offseason he'd have all this prorated money that's pushed out over and over again um, and the full sum of that would be 97 and a half million dollars a couple examples like Matt Ryan gets traded, had a $40 million dead cap hit for the Atlanta Falcons. When Drew Brees retired, they spread it out over two years. The Saints did, um, you know, with the post-June 1 stuff that I'm sure, you know, people have talked about. Um, but still, he had about $20 million in one year and then $11 million in the other. It's about $30-plus million total. Hertz's is the most extreme version we've ever seen of just prorating everything. And again, if he stays great, it doesn't matter. If he gets hurt or, or, or dips in his production or you know doesn't have the best offensive line and, and a top five weaponry around him and isn't the same player, and I agree with you guys, I think he's pretty good. But if that falls off, like they don't really have an outlet um, to get out of this deal. I was just curious. So, so eventually then, let's say Hertz does fall from production or anything, the, the things you brought up. You the the assumption is the Eagles would then take those dead cap hits, like spread them out, right? Like fifty million and, and forty or something like that, fifty and forty seven or something. Is that like what would happen? So they'd have the two years of dead cap hits. Correct. Yeah, you spread over two years. That's what they would do. Okay, that that's interesting. I mean, it it's 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 risky, but I still kind of like it because I feel like if you get to that point, you're restarting your whole franchise. Any you're re, kind of restarting the rebuild of your core. You can still keep your core guys, but then maybe you get lucky and you get a top pick for one of these quarterbacks. I don't know. I just I don't hate this move. I kind of like it, but you're right. It is very interesting and very risky. That was a great breakdown because I, I I saw those numbers and I and I think like Nick, I was like, how the hell is his contract? <laughs> like, how are these cap hits so much lower than Daniel Jones's contract? It's supposed to be a bigger contract. It makes no sense. But I get it now. The Giants won't have that much, uh, you know, that as much I guess t- tied to Daniel Jones long term as 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 Jalen Hurts as the Eagles have with Hurts. Is that correct? Yeah, so like here's an example. Like I'll, I'll pull up Jones, but and again too, like I, I agree with you. It's obviously nice to have, but you could also just have like a Patrick Mahomes where you can just restructure these roster bonuses in the deal, and so you can do that, but you have the flexibility year to year to not do it. Um, so you know, for example, if the Giants wanted to move on from Daniel Jones after 2024, as of today, there'd be 18 million dollars in dead money. I'm guessing more. Yeah, gets gets converted to fully guaranteed. So it'd be 30 million dollars in dead cap for Daniel Jones. If the Giants moves on after two seasons for Jalen Hurts, it's a nine-figure number. Wow! <laughs> Holy crap! This is why we bring guys like Brad on the podcast right here. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible, right there. All right, Brad. Brad I got one up. I got go. one small. Or Dan, does your question pertain to the Jalen Hurts contract? No, go ahead. Okay, so Brad, I have one small question, just about pre and post June first cuts. We always hear that thrown around, and I think Dan and I might have like rudimentary understanding on that, but not too much. So can you kind of give your opinions on the pre and post June first cuts and how that really affects NFL teams? Yeah. So, so real quick, how it works again, you know, the five-year thing, let's say you have a $20 million signing bonus spread out over five years. Let's say after the first year, you say, all right, this guy stinks. We don't want him anymore. There's $16 million left because, you know, four years, 4 million in the first year and then 4 million in each year. What you can do is instead of taking a $16 million dead cap hit all in that one year, you could take just the 4 million that's, that applies to 2024 and the 12 million remaining that applies to 25 through 27, you push out to the following year. So, you know, four million dead money in 2024 and then 12 million dead money in 2025. That's what the post June one does um, is you split it up, you know, over two different years. Um, you know, a lot of teams do it now. Uh, the Giants, uh, the Giants did it with someone recently, but, but nevertheless. So that's what it does. Again, I think if you're a good team trying to keep competing, you should do that. If you're a bad team, just take the hit. Like the Buccaneers, they didn't post June 1, Tom Brady or anyone. They just took all the hits. Right. They're going to stink this year, and you kind of just turn over the roster quicker. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I like that move for sure for those types of teams. I also kind of like how they didn't go heavy to in, in fixing that running back position. They're just like, screw it. Let's try to get Caleb. Let's try to get Drake May. Um, but um, let's 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 turn the page over. And let, actually, I got one more before we get to the questions. I got one more question for you. This is one you might not be able to answer because we didn't tell you beforehand. And it's probably just like off the top of your head if you have an idea of it. But where would you say the Giants are in terms of relation to the rest of the uh, 31 other teams? with regards to their future cap health? Like, are they in the middle of the pack? Do you like where they're at? Or, or do you think they're in a they're in a uh, tricky spot? No, so so I run a, a cap health metric every offseason that looks three years out because, you know, I think it kind of, you, you stick in that nucleus. Um, they're in the middle of the pack. I think, like I said, if they tried to do it again last year and kept around a bunch of players or pushed dead, caps, dead cap hits out and stuff like that, I think it would have made it worse. And I think they were smart. Uh, Joe Shane and Kevin Amos to come in and just say, you know what, let's just kind of flush the system and, and, and turn it over. Joe Shane did that in Buffalo. Uh, the Bills led the NFL in dead cap in 2018 um, and, and just started over, or 2017, whatever year it was, and just started over. I think the Giants, because they did that, took their lumps early. I think they're, you know, middle of the road. All right, we like that. It's better than it's better than you know back back end there. And I feel like with all the contracts they have on uh, you know under the books now, especially with Jones, it's good that they're kind of not falling behind. They're still in the middle of the pack. All right, let's get into some questions here. We're going to start with one from Doug Analytics. He asks, "I would love to know Brad's thoughts on the Darnay Holmes proven performance escalator situations." I'm not sure. Are you up to speed with that? So what he's referring to is for non-first-round picks, if they play a certain percent of snaps in their first three seasons, they can earn a raise for their fourth season. So Darius Slayton was an example last year uh, where he earned it, but the the issue, and I have a big issue with this uh, from a player standpoint, is none of that money is guaranteed. So if a player earns it, but a team still feels like they're not in love with this player, what they often do is they go to the player and say, you know what, we would have kept you at your, you know, your original, let's say $1 million base salary, but now your base salary is, you know, 3 million. 
we don't think you're that caliber of player. So either we're going to cut you or you're going to agree to a pay cut. And obviously in Slayton's you know, uh, situation, he had incentives that he could earn some of that money back. So it happens every offseason. Um, you'll get guys that get outright cut for it. You'll get guys that get traded for it. Or very commonly, they'll basically reduce the salary back to what it originally was and add some incentives. Wouldn't be surprised if the Giants did the same with Darnay Holmes. Um, or if he says no and they, they just outright cut him. Yeah, it's just you, you shouldn't have a, ben a player benefit that doesn't actually exist if the team doesn't want it to exist. So anyway, don't think about my soapbox, but it, it kind of pisses me off every offseason. No, you're 100% right. I never knew that. That's terrible for the players. Are we aware of what the uh, enhancers are within the contract? Is that public knowledge? Yeah, so it gets tied to um, the, the restricted free agent tenders. So your salary, I think it's for this year, I think it's two point seven million. Maybe that's last year, but let's say on average it's around a million right now for the fourth year of a rookie contract. It will get bumped up to what the lowest level restricted free agent tender is. Um, there's actually three different levels of proven performance escalators. So this is again where we're getting really in the weeds of it, but nevertheless, the, the base level, the lowest level, is you get that original round tender, um, and so your salary, you know, bumps up from one million to about two point seven. I want to say for this offseason, but like I said, none of that is protected. So I have a question from Big Jones Energy. Thank you, Big Jones Energy. He asks, how does unused cap money get rolled over year after year? Yep. So, so carryover cap space, every team is allowed to, um, any cap they do not use in a certain year, you can carry over the entire amount and then you get an adjusted salary cap number for the following year. So the base NFL salary cap this year is about 225 million, but let's say you didn't use $20 million in cap space last year, that team would have a $245 million cap that they were able to operate underneath. So it's interesting. Some teams really try to, you know, carry over a big excess and, and increase their adjusted cap. Other teams keep it very low. Um, this kind of ties back to the whole rich owner, poor owner thing again. But but anyway, like some teams really manipulate it. The Eagles do. It kind of helps them eat into their deficit a bit as they, they keep giving themselves these really adjusted numbers. Um, and other teams like the Raiders, they, 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 they don't care at all. <laughs> it's interesting. All right. How about this one from Evan Reichard who asks, if Brad, if you were in Joe Shane's position and you had decided to bring back Daniel Jones on that contract, would you have preferred front-loading the cap hit and have been, and and then in that sense, been less aggressive in twenty three free agency. Or do you like the route that he took? Solid. I I, I totally get the question. Um, I, I think there is credence to most popular example is kind of Jimmy Garoppolo, where the Niners gave him this massive roster bonus, which did not prorate, you know, over his deal. So when they moved on last year, uh, they had a one point four million dollar, you know, dead cap number because they really didn't prorate any money on his contract. That's kind of we're talking about the whole, you know, Hertz versus Jones thing. So. I think the Giants kind of met in the middle, you know, got a solid signing bonus. I think the cash flows were a big deal for Jones's camp if they were going to do a multi-year deal um, at a lower value. Um, and so, anyway, I get the question. I wouldn't have been against it. They still could have probably spent in free agency if they wanted to and just, you know, restructure other deals or or, or structure the, the free agents in different ways. But I like that they kind of had a year-to-year a -year kind of flatter approach to it. A lot of the questions that we have from some of the listeners, if we're not reading it, it's because it's already been answered. So just for the listeners out there, just uh, don't think we're ignoring you. But we do have a question from Chris, no longer in St. Pete. He asked, can you see void or dummy year contract construction be eliminated in the future because it is a way to kind of find a loophole in the system? Or do you think it's just going to be ramped up? 
it was a funny one because I totally get the question, but the thing is it benefits both parties, right? So it benefits teams in that they can spend more money and add more talent to their roster, and it benefits players because they can spend more money and add more talent to their roster, right? So, so yeah, I, I think it will be ramped up more. I think COVID forced – I would say half the NFL had not used a void year before COVID. And then I think in the COVID year, it may have been all 32 teams, right? Like I, I could be wrong on that. I think uh, the Falcons maybe tried to avoid it, but like nevertheless – um, I do. I think more and more clubs are gonna are gonna be more open to it. Um, we've seen a change, in my opinion, in like owners used to use dead cap as like a um, like a sunk cost, and they would say, oh, "I don't want to trade this player. I don't want to cut this player because of the dead cap." And I think, like the Eagles and the Rams, they kind of just didn't care. Like Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz all reset the the, the record for the most dead cap ever on a contract. Then Khalil Mack, like. Teams just kind of have stopped caring. And I say, you know what? Like, we'll take the sunk cost. We'll spend around it. So I think it's been a philosophical change from ownership. And I think more and more teams are going to do it. NYG Mason asked this a little bit different than the salary cap question. But I know this is uh, right in your ballpark as well, Brad. He asks, how tech backwards, in your opinion, were the Giants before Shane and Dable? And where are they now? And how do you see them embracing analytics? And what areas do we think they could improve in from that standpoint um, moving forward? Yeah, those, those poor computer folks. Is that what that was the, uh, the quote was? The, the computer folks in New York. I don't think they were. Uh, they had a very powerful voice in the room. Uh, I think that was evident. Again, I'm not here to harp on like Saquon Barkley pick and all that. It's ancient history. But I think if you were in an analytically uh, influenced, you know, front office, they wouldn't take a running back second overall. Um, I think now, like, they are definitely empowered. I, I haven't had any. Direct conversation that works there, but my understanding is they are definitely like Joe Shane coming from Buffalo. They value it. They give those people they're in the draft room, which is not the case for every team um, in Buffalo. I'm not sure if they are in the war room in New York as of yet, but yeah, they are definitely not as they use. I mean, look at like the decisions Brian Dable makes even on the field. I think you can see it. His aggressiveness on certain fourth down decisions and and stuff like that. I think he already was an aggressive guy to begin with, but I think they probably have someone in the earpiece, and I think he trusts that person and respects that person. I think you're seeing it already. We have a question from Turtley Jessman. What is a realistic price to pay Andrew Thomas, and what will the salary cap implications be? And I, and I would ask Brad if you can just look at this from how the Giants have constructed the contracts of Daniel Jones and just kind of their overall cap health. What do you think that Andrew Thomas contract will look like? It's going to be a monster. Uh, the, the Laramie Tunsil new deal this past offseason of three years, 75. If I was Thomas's reps, that would be a floor for me. Um, I'm sure the Giants will try. Yeah, I'm sure the Giants will try to push for as long as possible. Like I mentioned, team wants longer. Player wants to get back, back to market as soon as possible. I mean, you mentioned Tunsil. That was his second time resetting the market at tackle because he signed a three-year deal the first time. And then two years into that three-year deal, signs another three-year extension. So, you know, four years, a hundred to me is an absolute floor. If I'm Andrew Thomas, um, yeah, they can fit it. Look, the thing with Jones too, is like now, yes, he's paid and he's not a rookie contract quarterback, but you know, we're going to have five quarterbacks making over $50 million by the end of this off season. So he's obviously going to be, you know, what 10th or lower, um, in, in total quarterback compensation. You can definitely spend around that. The big thing too, is having Thibodeau, having all these rookie contract players to balance it out as well. You need to have that ebb and flow, right? Where it's like if Thibodeau takes that step and becomes even a top 20 pass rusher in the NFL, he'll be, you know, compared to his rookie deal of probably, I don't know, $7 million a year, he's, he'll be worth 25 and that just saves you so much money. Um, so, yeah, they have to lock up Andrew Thomas, and I think they will. 
Yeah, that'll be the contract Giants fans are looking forward to. I got one from Mark Scott who wants to know, with the way the Giants structured Dexter Lawrence's new deal, can they afford to get themselves back in the free agent market uh, toward the, you know, for the next couple months to look for a free agent edge rusher to add to the rotation. And I think they really do need one too. I, I keep mocking them like Melvin Ingram or Justin Houston or like any like veteran edge that's out there. Yeah. Uh, to me, I think it's the biggest remaining weakness on this roster, uh, especially after getting my guy Deontay Banks uh, in the first round. So yeah, he's a stud. Um, yeah, they, they can. They, they would have to restructure a deal. Maybe, like I said, you know, Leonard Williams, maybe don't do a full max restructure, but push a little bit of money out. Uh, I guess you'd have to negotiate with him because there's no extra years to push money into. But um, but yes, they, they certainly can. I think they're being patient, waiting for things to play out. Um, maybe seeing if guys get cut, or, cut around camp time. Um, but yeah, they, they would need to restructure a deal first, but then they certainly could. Another question on Saquon. How does our next two years look in terms of our salary cap if Saquon does sign a long-term deal? I know we kind of touched on this, but I would like uh, maybe just reiterate on how you think the Giants cap situation looks if they do sign him to, say, 12, 12.5 million a year. Yeah, so let's just you know assume that it's kind of a flat deal of those values. Uh, you look at next year, next offseason, their, their, their cap space, their top – 15 top 12 in the NFL about 65 million dollars in cap as of today um in 2024 uh, and then in 2025 kind of in the middle of the pack again so they're healthy they could certainly add that deal if they wanted to and again because they have the flexibility of they're not already leveraged and pushing money out if you want to restructure Dana Jones you want to restructure a Dexter Lawrence and so on and so forth um, you can clear even more room yeah they, they have I know I sound like a broken record if they want to spend they can spend that's that's a good sign for Giants fans. I want to ask you one that you might not be able to answer, but you might be able to direct people uh, to where they can find this resource uh, or a resource that has this information. RCY814 says, do you know the breakdown of the cap utilization per position group for teams in the NFC East? Or is there somewhere yep, so to find that? Sure. Absolutely. Good old overthecap.com. So you go to over the cap. There's a, there's a uh, drop down that's trends. Uh, and then positional spending. And it tells you at every single position for every single team how much cap they have allocated to each group. Um, so, yeah, there you go. NY Giants B asks, what's stopping an NFL owner from paying a player on the side to avoid the salary cap? It's a fun one. I mean, hey, uh, TB12 method, a little, little <laughs> interesting. We got uh, – I saw Tyler Lockett has like a real estate agency now that is like an uh, official sponsor of the Seahawks. So I guess that'd be him paying them money. Uh, all jokes aside, like there is in the, in the CBA, like any compensation of any kind, you know, I think it even mentions like Bitcoin and stuff like, which I guess you could try to make untraceable. Um, look, they, they would figure it out and you'd get in a whole lot of trouble for it. But yeah, maybe, maybe you could uh, try to skirt the rules a little bit. I'm going to ask you a couple more. One from a, the, one, uh, one of the biggest Daniel Jones supporters we have. So just keep that in mind when I ask this question from him. It's your boy who asks, I'd love to know if PFF has any plans to establish set criteria or iterate on their off-sited big-time throw metric. It's often used, in his opinion, unfairly to criticize Daniel Jones, who he thinks has plenty of great throws that are not captured by a subjective metric. Yeah, so the big-time throw thing, look, I can tell you, like, I'm not going to defend every single thing we put out. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, I think, look, it's it's there's no bias of any way, shape, or form. Uh, I can promise you that. 
he's interesting. I know his number was like super low last year. Um, I mean, he did have one of the lowest average depth of targets in the NFL. So you can also just look at objective numbers and like he, you know, anyway, this is a big Giants Daniel Jones fan. So let me let me catch myself. Um, look, <laughs> it, it is it is a subjective metric. It, it is there's 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 this massive probably four page list of criteria. It's not like we just have a guy like oh that was big time. Like it's it looks mm-hmm. into the, the depth of the throw. We we tr- we chart how close the defender is to the ball. We chart if the if the throw is away from coverage or towards coverage. Like it's not it is subjective, but it's also there are certain things that to go through and kind of tick off. You know what? Yeah, maybe maybe two or three didn't go his way this year, and, and I would say this: like it'll it'll regress back to the mean, and maybe he'll get a couple, you know, next year that that you know weren't charted at the the, the, the prior year. Um, but yeah, you know, look, it, it's not an exact science. Uh, I'll I'll send a message to the other graders for you about to, to up up Daniel Jones's big time throws. But I think you did a good job there explaining that there are actually some. I would say criteria that is set in place for defining what these are according to PFF. So it's not like it's just subjective. Like people are looking at like, that was a big time throw. That wasn't a big time throw. Like, you know, so I feel like that gives me a better feel and it should give him a better feel. I want to ask you one more and then we'll, and then we'll, then we'll get you out of here, Brad. So, and you, you discussed this a little bit, but I kind of want to just get further clarity on it for both David Goodman who asked this and myself. So he asks, how easily can void years and contracts in uh, current contracts be turned into real years on contract schedule? So my thought is like for that Eagles example, right? Like Hertz is down the line. He has this $90 million cap debt cap hit on a year. He doesn't even have a contract. Say the Eagles get through it and then they want to extend him and add more years to that contract. Do they have to pay that 90 right there and then add more to the situation? Like how does that, or like, does that get rewritten? How does that work? Yeah, so it's pretty funny that uh, the void years each had a $99.999 million salary. So the reason why they did that, so no, that, that money is not real. It doesn't exist. It's not getting paid to the player. I remember a couple of years ago, there was the Taysom Hill got extended, and Adam Schefter, bless his heart, originally put out that it was like a four-year, $140 million extension because he thought the money, the salaries, and the void years were real. So why Hertz's were so high is because – you can't negotiate a raise on that money. You can only only negotiate below what the number, even though the number's fake, for whatever reason, you can't you can't increase it and then make it real. So what you do is you just negotiate a new contract. It entirely supersedes the void years. They're just wiped away like they never existed before. But the reason why the number is so astronomically high uh, in Hertz's case is because he's saying, you know, if I want an $80 million salary, you know, I don't want to have a situation where you can't give me more than that. So let's make it as high as humanly possible, and then we can negotiate underneath. But, yeah, how easy it is, it's very easy. The, the, the years realistically don't actually exist. So uh, I'm, I'm just a bit confused. Let me get this straight. So if they get through this contract and they like where they're at with him and it, everything goes smoothly and they decide to redo the extend it, they are just essentially bypassing 90 million of cap that they would have had to allocate otherwise. Correct or no? So the pro, sorry, I, my, my apologies. I probably got lost there. So the prorated money stays forever. You cannot manipulate it. You can't do anything with it. That is going to hit your salary cap at some point. Like we talked about with post June, you can spread it out, but, but that money is, is there in stone. It is, it is unmanipulable. You can't trade it. You can't cut nothing. Um, so no. So what, what would happen though, is when I said the 95 million, what that was is, when you at the end of the deal, all the prorated money accelerates up to the last year, right? So, or again, or over two years, but it wouldn't stay in like seven different years. But what they would do is when they sign the extension, you would keep the prorated money spread out. So let's make a simple example. Let's say there's five board years, there's 10 million in each. 
if you just let the guy, the guy's contract expire, do nothing, fifty million would come up to the last year, and you have a fifty million dollar dead cap hit. If you're in the you're in the final year of the deal and you sign an early extension for five years, whatever value, the ten million each year would stay in those five years, and then you know all the new money would go on top of it. What I was speaking on was, and maybe this is me kind of being nitty gritty. You do put actual salaries in the void years. They're not real. They don't exist. Uh, and yeah, and his are ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Um, again, not actual money, but that way, I don't know. But by, by the time he's done, if quarterbacks are making like eighty million dollars salaries, which I guess they could be, um, you know, it wouldn't prevent him from doing that. That makes sense, Brad. I got a quick question. Actually, I might actually have two more questions. Can you explain to the audience? effective cap space. Yeah, this this is a huge one for the offseason. I think I think it's great we do this because fans will see the static cap space number and say, "Oh, we have so much money." All it really is is let's say you have 35 players under contract and we know you need to get to 53, we we multiply the minimum salary by 18 players to get up to 53 and then say, "All right, yeah, your cap space is 20 million, but you got to go sign 18 dudes that at minimum are going to make $750,000." So realistically, your effective cap space is actually only, I don't know, 12 million. So so that's what that is. Oh, okay. That's that's simple enough. And one more thing, just cuz we touched a lot on the Eagles, we're not going to talk about Washington, but I want to pivot to Dallas. You mentioned Jerry Jones a little bit, kind of bitching and complaining about the salary cap a little bit earlier. How have they bungled their situation? It seems like they're just one of those teams that just have not handled the cap all that well over the last half decade. So can you please just give the audience your opinions on where the Dallas Cowboys have went wrong or if they have went wrong? Yeah. So the biggest thing, the easiest thing to point to, not to bring up the Dirty Birds again, but when you sign an early extension, you can get good value for players. You look at Jordan Mailata on the Eagles making $16 million a year, Josh Sweat making $14 million a year. We could sit here and name 10 players. You get these discount deals because these guys have not made that much money yet, and you sign them early before they get to market. What the Dallas Cowboys have done with Amari Cooper, with Dak Prescott, with, with Des Bryant, with all these guys is with Demarcus Lawrence is they're obsessed with winning the negotiation and they let these clear pillar foundational players make it all the way to a franchise tag. And then all the leverage like a Leonard Williams, all the leverage is in the players camp at that point. So like Dak Prescott probably would have signed the Carson Wentz contract in 20, whatever it was, 2019, four years, 128. Instead he gets four years, 160. Cause you just waited too long. They've done that time and time and time again. Um, and I think they maybe kind of get it now, but, but that's the biggest difference between the two. That was great to know. All right, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. That was incredibly insightful. One day, Nick and I hope to know a tenth of the what you know about the salary cap uh, situation in the NFL. And it's good to hear the Giants are in a healthier situation than some might believe moving forward. So thanks again. Before we get you out of here, Brad, let everybody know again where they can find all your work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. I live in Queens, so I'm around New York now. A son of a son of a Giants fan. I didn't didn't follow him in that in those footsteps, but uh, he is a diehard Giants fan. Um, and yeah, and PFF.com and OverTheCap.com. Sounds good. Thanks again, Brad. Thank you, guys.